Welcome to Urban Principle, leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAndersonConsulting.com. And now here's your host, Brett Anderson. And welcome back to another episode. We are on episode 107, season three, and this is Emotional Intelligence Makes the Leader, part two. And last time we dove into uh, looking at what Daniel Goleman uh, described the five components of emotional intelligence, self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skill. And tonight I'd like to dive a little bit into each one of those a little more um, and sharing again from Harvard Harvard Business Review on, motion, on emotional intelligence and taken from the chapter on what makes a leader by Daniel Goleman. And uh, starting with looking at his first area, which was self-awareness. And I want to read to you a few things here. Self-awareness means having a deep understanding of one's emotions, strengths, weaknesses, needs, and drives. People with strong self-awareness are neither overly critical nor unrealistically hopeful. Rather, they are honest with themselves and with others. People who have a high degree of self-awareness recognize how their feelings affect them, other people, and their job performance. Thus, a self-aware person who knows that tight deadlines bring out the worst in him plans his time carefully and gets his work done in advance. Another person with high self-awareness will be able to work with a demanding client, uh, understanding the client's impact on their moods and deep and the deeper reasons and the deeper reasons for frustration. So having that self-awareness, and there's a lot of different ways you can develop that self-awareness too, uh, learning about yourself through surveys. Uh, we always had climate surveys. Um, I always took like the strengths, uh, strengths finder. I had all my staff take the strengths finder. So we knew everybody's strengths. We knew um, where you came from. And we use that in working together and mediating situations and working together. I even had a book that I called the strengths of the focus school, the strengths of Indian Hill, uh, the strengths of Underwood and so on. So I did that with each place I was and everybody that we added as a staff member would always have to take strengths finder for me so that we could see what their strengths were and we put those out to everybody so everybody had those as a guide uh, and then since then I've taken the disc and I've taken uh, a lot of different instruments and actually I'm a certified behavior consultant so I can give the disc so I can help leaders see what their strengths are and what some of their traits are and what some of their blind spots are it's a really good tool and there's other tools they go with that on working with teams and uh, your leadership areas and different things. But doing things to become self-aware uh, can help you understand emotional intelligence a lot uh, more. The next area he has is self-regulation. Uh, let me read you ex a few pieces from that. Self-regulation. Biological impulses drive our emotions. We cannot, we cannot do away with them, but we can do much to manage them. Self-regulation, which is like an ongoing inner conversation, is the component of emotional intelligence that frees us from being prisoners of our feelings. People engaged in such a conversation feel bad moods and emotional impulse, just as everyone else does, but they find ways to control them and even to channel them in useful ways. Uh, and then he talks about the gift of self-regulation and that um, having the gift of self-regulation, you can choose a different approach. And you can pick words carefully, uh, acknowledging um, uh, performance or whatever you're without resting or rushing to any hasty judgment. And see, it takes me back to uh, my 21 years as principal, of course, 
I became pretty adept at emotional intelligence because I had to. And uh, the schools I, I was in were very tough schools, especially the first one. And 90% um, free reduced lunch, so you're dealing with staff that are worn out and uh, staff that you're pulling together and trying to motivate and develop teams and successful teams at that too. Uh, so being able to manage your emotions was important. Uh, being able to control your emotions and still understand others' emotions, too, was extremely important. Uh, all these things are important to being an effective leader, for sure. Uh, let me read another little piece here. I want to push the importance of self-regulation to leadership even further and make the case that it enhances integrity, which is not only a personal virtue, but also an organizational strength. Many of the bad things that happen in companies are a function of impulsive behavior. Are you hearing that? A function of impulsive behavior. So somebody that's in a bad mood or somebody that's not able to control their own emotions and it comes out on other people. Uh, it goes back to a previous episode when I talked about how the leader comes in the building. Is Are you worried uh, when you see your leader coming? Are they in a bad mood? And if you have to think that, that's not a good thing. Because uh, they need to practice more emotional intelligence and how to control their feelings and how to be an effective leader so that they don't come in and change the tone of that culture. Uh, the next area he has is motivation. If there is one trait that virtually all effective leaders have, it is motivation. They are driven to achieve beyond expectations, their own and everyone else's. The key word here is achieve. Plenty of people are motivated by external factors such as a big salary or a status that comes from having an impressive title or being part of a prestigious company. By, by contrast, those with leadership potential are motivated by a deeply embedded desire to achieve for the sake of achievement. If you are looking for leaders, how can you identify people who are motivated by the drive to achieve rather than by external rewards? And this is good for districts right here that are trying to develop talent pools and trying to manage their district talents because a lot of districts don't do a good job at that. And if you want to really manage the talent and look for effective leaders, uh, this piece could be helpful to you. The first sign is passion for the work itself. Such people seek out creative challenges, love to learn, and take great pride in a job well done. They also display an unflagging energy to do things better. People with such energy often seem restless with the status quo. They are persistent with their questions about the th why things are done one way rather than another. They are eager to explore new approaches to their work. That is definitely me. I had a passion for the work I was doing and still do. Um, still developing leaders and still helping people be better and stronger leaders. And I always had a passion for the work itself and I loved creative challenges. I still love to learn and I'm constantly reading about leadership uh, and school improvement and uh, how to be an effective leader and all kinds of things surrounding education as well. And I had an, uh, that unflagging energy that he just talked about and a, a restlessness with the status quo. And that's why I ended up uh, leading the first focus school in Nebraska where I was able to start an innovative school that did things differently and we looked at things and questioned things and looked for better ways of doing things. So I was very eager to try new things. And then that achievement and then that achiever, achiever is one of my top five in StrengthsFinder. And uh, achiever has always been there and my wife has achiever as well. Uh, maybe that's why we're a good fit. And I constantly looked for ways to improve our school, 
uh, became an Apple Distinguished School four four times, I believe it was, and before that was a an a- Apple Distring- Distinguished Program, and uh, um, also did uh, a national accreditation to become an advanced ed school when none of the other elementaries in our district were advanced ed accredited. So I had to go through national review and go through our state review that gave me the national accreditation for advanced ed, and we got some of the best scores in advanced ed because we were achievers and because we wanted to do that as a school and show that our school could compete with schools in other districts and schools in other affluent areas. So there was a reason for some of the things we did, and then we continued to do a lot of different things. Um, That achiever has always been there for me. I wouldn't be doing some of the things I'm doing now even. Um, working various jobs and coaching and consulting and um, working with universities and uh, coaching new teachers and doing online coaching of teachers. I mean, there's a lot of things I'm doing that are connected to that as well as this podcast. Um, And continuing with motivation, he says, and it follows naturally that people who are driven to do better also want a way of tracking progress, their own, their teams, and their companies. Whereas people with low achievement motivation, low achievement motivation, are often fuzzy about results. Those with high achievement motivation often keep score by tracking such hard measures uh, as profitability, market share, data, so on, and so on. So I mean, um, looking for gauges and ways to um, quantify that performance. I remember one year or two when they did our uh, our climate surveys and our culture survey where it gives you a lot of, of information back on the leader. And for some reason, my some of my staff hadn't done it, so we had a very low percentage of staff that actually completed it. This was getting close to before I retired. And I actually called research and said, hey, can I shoot this out again? I think a lot of them just missed it. It was right at conference time. We were extremely busy. I think they, some of them missed the deadlines. And because when I started asking about it, people were like, I didn't even see it. I didn't know we had to do that. And so it was one of those things that I, I actually had them redo it or in other words i basically shot it back out again and most people don't want the results of that and don't want to see it i looked for the data because i want to know um how our students are doing how our families are perceiving the school how the teachers are perceiving the school and the staff is perceiving the leadership because then those are things you can use to improve the next area he has is empathy Um, Of all the dimensions of emotional intelligence, empathy is the most easily recognized. We have all felt the empathy of a sensitive teacher or friend. We have all been stuck by its absence in an unfeeling coach or boss. But when it comes to business, we rarely hear people praised, let alone rewarded, for their empathy. The very word seems unbusinesslike, out of place amid the tough realities of the marketplace. But empathy doesn't mean a kind of I'm okay, you're okay mushiness for a leader that is it doesn't mean adopting other people's emotions as one's own and trying to please everybody that would be a nightmare it would make action impossible rather empathy means thoughtfully considering employees feelings along with other factors in the process of making intelligent decisions um i need to read that again because i think that's an extremely important point for for leaders uh empathy means thoughtfully considering employees feelings along with other factors in the process of making intelligent decisions. And remember one of the blind spots he said earlier was that impulsiveness or a leader's ability to act suddenly without thinking about what they're doing. That doesn't mean you need to be indecisive, but you need to think about your actions and in empathy, which we just read about, 
of course, learning how those feelings will affect others as well. Uh, empathy is particularly important today as a component of leadership for at least three reasons. The increasing use of teams, which is extremely important, the rapid pace of global globalization, and the growing need to retain talent. Um, all those are extremely important. I used it with teams uh, to understand people on our team and to understand different perspectives and where people are coming from and the different emotions that are with teams. And I know in another chapter he does talk about, um, he talks about how that another area that people can fall short is coming into a turnaround situation and going right in and starting to do things without listening to the different teams and listening to the people on staff and listening to the people that have uh, buy-in and ownership into what's going on in the building. Um, and he also talks about here, um, let's see here, uh, I want to catch some of these key pieces here. Empathy is an antidote. People who have it are attuned to subtleties in body language. They can hear the message beneath the words being spoken. Uh, so even the body language can help you understand what people are going through. And that's pretty evident when I think back to the staff that I would have come in and I had an open door policy, which many of you sh I'm sure do. And when people would come in, you could read that and you could read sometimes their body language too on what they're really trying to say to you. Um, finally, empathy plays a key role in the retention of talent, particularly in today's information economy. Leaders have always needed empathy to develop and keep good people, but today the stakes are higher. When good people leave, they take the company's knowledge with them. That's what districts need to think about right there for sure. Uh, that's where coaching and mentoring come in. It has repeatedly been shown that coaching and mentoring pay off not just in better performance, but also in increased job satisfaction and decreased turnover. But what makes coaching and mentoring work best is the nature of relationship. Outstanding coaches and mentors get inside the heads of people they are helping. They sense how to give effective feedback. They know how and when to push for better performance and when to hold back. In the way they motivate their uh, protégés, they demonstrate empathy in action. And then the last area he talks about is social skill. And he says the first three components of emotional intelligence are self-management skills. The last two, empathy and social skill, concern a person's ability to manage relationships with others. It's not just a matter of friendliness, although people with high levels of social skill are rarely mean-spirited. Social skill, rather, is friendliness with a purpose. Moving people in the direction you desire, whether that's agreement on a new marketing strategy or enthusiasm about a new project. Socially skilled people tend to have a wide circle of acquaintances, and they have a knack for finding common ground with people of all kinds, a knack for building support or rapport. That doesn't mean they socialize continually. It means they work according to the assumption that nothing important gets done alone. Um, that was always the perspective I had. We we're working together as a team and anybody who came in from the workers to the carpenters to uh, the custodial staff to the engineers to the, uh, to the cafeteria, I was able to become a chameleon and to relate with them and to have a good rapport with them and to understand their needs. And this is extremely important as a leader and putting yourself on the same level and being at the same level, willing to do anything at any time, which we've talked about as a leader um, which kind of takes you out of that old class system anyway, or that old hierarchy, which doesn't help situations in most respects. Um, 
I'm going to go on a little bit here. People tend to be very effective at managing relationships when they can understand and control their own emotions and then can emphasize with the feelings of others. Remember that people who are driven to achieve tend to be optimistic, even in the face of setbacks or failure. When people are at beat, their glow is cast upon conversations and other social encounters. They are popular and for a good reason. Because it is the outcome of the other dimensions of emotional intelligence, social, social skill is recognizable on the job in many ways that will by now sound familiar. Socially skilled people, for instance, are adept at managing teams. That's their empathy at work. Likewise, they are expert persuaders, a manifestation of self-awareness, self-regulation, and empathy combined. Given those skilled, good persuaders know when to make an emotional plea, for instance, and when an appeal to reason will work better. And motivation, when publicly visible, makes such people excellent collaborators. Their passion for the work spreads to others, and they are driven to find solutions. There's many times that I had to persuade staff on something we were trying to do as a school or to get them motivated uh, with our achievement or to change grade levels or to change a configuration or things that we were doing that would benefit the whole. And we would still get a lot of input but I would consider a lot of options, and at times you end up using some of those persuasion skills um, for what's best for, for the group. It would be foolish to assert the good old-fashioned IQ and technical ability are not important ingredients in strong leadership, but the recipe would not be complete without emotional intelligence. It was once thought that the components of emotional intelligence were nice to have in business leaders, but now we know that for the sake of performance, these are ingredients that leaders need to have, this emotional intelligence. And um, as we start to wrap up tonight, let me share one thing from Primal Leadership, one of my favorite books. You've heard me say that more than once. Uh, Realizing the Power of Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman, Richard Boyatis, and Annie McKee. And it was a, emotion, it was a New York Times bestseller. A uh, lot of great things in this book. Um, if you're a leader, I highly recommend it and recommend reading it and highlighting it like I do. And I even have uh, things marked in here. Um, let me finish with a couple things from this book. The old model of leadership had a functional focus, one without regard to the emotional or personal dimension. People were seen as interchangeable parts. Such impersonal leadership increasingly fails today. Resonant leaders shatter the old leadership mold that was cast in the image of the captains of industry. Those old-fashioned lead-from-the-top figures of authority who led largely by virtue of the power of their position. That is no longer the case, and we've talked about that many times on this show, that you have to build trust and you have to develop it, your own integrity and your relationship skills with the community, your internal, your external stakeholders, and building that professional lear learning community as a whole. Uh, resonant leaders know when to be collaborative and when to be visionary, when to listen and when to command. These leaders naturally nurture relationships, uh, surface simmering issues, and create the human synergies of a group in harmony. They build a fierce loyalty by caring about the careers of those who work for them and inspire people to give their best for a mission that speaks to shared values. Uh, and we've talked about the importance of those shared values. We've talked about the importance of mentoring and helping to develop your staff and the things that only strengthen you as well and strengthen your school culture and your leadership team and your whole um, student body for that matter and increases achievement. So there are too many things to miss 
in that emotional intelligence. So make sure that you're ma- you're you're studying emotional intelligence and you're self-reflecting on the things that you're doing as a leader. And as we wrap up tonight, um, I'd like to end with a quote. And our quote tonight is, Life is change. Growth is optional. Choose wisely. Karen Kaiser Clark. And as always, keep promoting effective leadership through productive culture changes. And until next time, let's stay positive. been listening to Urban Principle, leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAnderson Consulting.com.